0: I
1: spent $40,000 on shoes? What's the matter, Morty? Coral, the spank. Turn to buy our
0: whole dress. Coral, the thing. Great gowns. World, beautiful gowns.
1: Fashion has changed. Coral, no, it hasn't. Hi, guys. I'm Lauren Garoni. I'm Chelsea Fairless. And welcome back to Every Outfit.
0: We're back again. Dolly Parton has finally vaccinated. Thank God. Absolutely. Did you watch the video? Oh, I'm obsessed with the video, especially because I love that she got the vaccine wearing a cold shoulder dress, which really plays into this age old conspiracy theory about Dolly Parton having tattoo sleeves. Because when you think about it, have you ever seen Dolly Parton's arms? I haven't. You mean bare arms? Yeah, her bare arms. Like her arm, she always wears like the lowest neckline, but just like long sleeves with everything.
1: Did you watch her do her rousing rendition of Jolene to the tune of Vaccine? It was perfect.
0: Vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm
1: begging of you, please don't hesitate.
0: In other news, Lauren got a chemical peel. I mean... (laughs) I'm just gonna say that you've you've looked cuter it's not quite to the Samantha at Carrie's book party level but
1: it's not <laughs> your best look I was hoping that by the time that I saw you I would have started peeling but I haven't <laughs> but you remember another conspiracy theory is that that chemical peel episode was inspired by the time that Kim Cattrall went to the Golden Globes with what people said was a botched chemical peel but it was really just like probably a botched spray tan yeah it was, insane. It was like an Ariana Grande level of spray
0: tan, but it it did look a little uneven. It was maybe she got a peel and then tried to cover it
1: up with a spray tan. As someone who just got a chemical peel, let me just say don't do that. <laughs> but speaking of which, did you watch the Golden Globes, which feel like they were seven months ago? Seven
0: months ago, even though it was just this past Sunday. Yes I did. I already forget what happened, but I think this is actually maybe the best time for us to talk about Golden Globe fashion because what do you remember five days later? For me, it's Jodie Foster and her wife in Prada pajamas. Surprise,
1: surprise.
0: Yeah, they looked fab, but that's the correct level of formality for the Golden Globes this year. Most people were in their homes and it was really jarring, odd, and dystopian to see all of these random ingenues wearing these giant tulle dresses sitting by themselves in these cavernous rooms. Are you speaking of
1: Rosamund Pike and Molly Goddard? Yes, I mean, that for sure. Which is not a look meant to be seen sitting down. It would have been a powerful moment had she won, which she did, and she was in the room and she walked onto the stage to accept the award. It was,
0: I don't know, for me, the dress was certainly beautiful, but something was lost for me. Like, I don't want to say that it wasn't age appropriate because I feel like that's generally narrow-minded thinking, but I feel like this particular dress would have made more sense on either like a moody 16-year-old Christina Ricci or like Helena Bonham Carter, you know? Someone batshit crazy.
1: This year, it's almost the reverse. Those who did dress up and go full-out glam actually didn't look better than those who kind of didn't try a la Jason Sudeikis and his tie-dyed hoodie. I mean, he looked
0: pretty cute, honestly.
1: When I look back on the looks
0: that stuck out for me, my favorite was Emma Corrin from The Crown, who wore this very modest, crystal encrusted, sort of Perot inspired muumuu Mew, Mew gown that was kind of over the top, but it also, it was gorgeous. It made sense to me. And beyond that, I literally forget what everyone else was wearing. Oh, I do I do remember Sarah Paulson's Payette in encrusted cast sleeve which was very chic
1: you know I've yet to see this look on the best dress list but my favorite because it's the move I would have done was Michelle Pfeiffer wore a Valentino silver sequin bodysuit which in the zoom view looked like she was wearing a full-on gown but in a selfie she took she was wearing what was clear to be a bodysuit and then some chic camel pants Yeah, she looked she looked hot. Valentino had some good moments. They also
0: dressed Leslie Jr. Dan Levy. They put them both in turtlenecks instead of like full tuxedos and ties, which I think made sense. It's again, it's just like too jarring to see someone in a living room in a black tie outfit. What do you think this means going forward for the SAG and the Academy Awards fashion wise? Well, I don't know what to expect from SAG because they said SAG is going to be pre-recorded, which after the Golden Globes, can you blame them? But also I'm like, what does a pre-recorded award ceremony look like? It doesn't sound particularly fun. It's like watching a pre-recorded Super Bowl or something,
1: you know? And if we may suggest as viewers of these award shows who love to dissect fashion, can all the stylists and the celebrities get together and form one cohesive plan to photograph the outfits? Yeah, totally. I
0: felt bad for the poor like Vogue.com interns that probably had to go to like every celebrity's Instagram and like pull pics of their outfits. Oh, you know who also looked fab? Our homegirl, Cynthia Nixon.
1: Oh my god, how have we waited this long to mention her? I know,
0: she looked beautiful. She wore a white vampire's wife dress. I love this combination of person and brand. I think she looked gorgeous. Uh
1: alongside her Bernie Sanders cutout. All right, should we go to the thing that you put in our document? You you moved it from the middle of the show to the top of the show, which is what is going on with Andre Leon Talley's house. Yeah, we have to discuss this urgently. So, last week the New York Post broke a story that Andre Leon Talley is suing his landlord saying that he rightfully owns a home that they are trying to sell. Well, okay.
0: Can we back up a little bit cuz sure. didn't hadn't he put down like he's paid like 900k on this house or something, right? So Explain Uh, to me, like, explain to me what happened, because I kind of skimmed the specifics of the drama with his landlord.
1: So that's the other thing that's not getting reported as much, is his landlord are his friends, George Malkimis and Anthony Yurgatis. George Malkimis was the former CEO of Manolo Blahnik, and what will be interesting to you is he's the current partner in Sarah Jessica Parker's shoe collection. Wow. So they bought this house in 2004. According to Andre Leon Talley's complaint, they bought it on behalf of him. They have a lease agreement that Talley pays them. And to his mind, it was a gentleman's agreement that he was paying up until the price that they purchased the house for, which was a million dollars. The lease agreement expires around 2015, and they never re-sign it. And Talley just pays what he can, when he can. You know how fashion salaries can be, of course. So last year, Malchemus and Nurgatis want to sell the home. So they legally evict Andre Leon Talley. There should be laws against that. I'm sorry. Well, and then on top of that, they claim that he owes $500,000. Andre Leon Talley claims that up until this point, he has paid $955,558 of the home price. And they obviously don't believe that that is true. So once this became a news story,
0: GoFundMe was launched by Akeem Smith, who is a brilliant stylist who I've actually worked with before when I was at V-Files. He's styled all the Hood by Air shows. He's amazing. He launches a GoFundMe for Andre. I mean, I donated it. I firmly believe that Andre Leon deserves to own a fucking house. He is an irreplaceable part of the American fashion industry. He's a brilliant writer. He's a brilliant editor. He's, while not technically a fashion historian, he
1: is—he he has lived—he's practically a historian, and he's also lived a lot of fashion history that we give a shit about.
0: Totally his mere presence in the in his book he said that he regretted that during his time at Vogue he didn't do more to elevate other people of color in the industry but his mere presence in the industry did elevate other people, or at the very least believe that it's possible to be successful in an industry that is so insular and overtly racist. And also, I don't want those Norma Kamali sleeping bag coats and Valentino caftans to be wilting in some
1: disgusting you know Manhattan mini storage unit somewhere. My favorite detail of his claim in the lawsuit is that this house in White Plains is not only his home but it's also a part of his brand as he did shoot a recent UGG campaign there. (laughs) Did he? He did he did. I love that. I mean it's messy on both sides right. Unfortunately I can't imagine a judge is going to look at this and take a gentleman's handshake deal over the the legal papers. Now look there are things that certainly don't exactly make sense. So there's this $120,000 that he gave them as a down payment that they claim or the lease identifies as a security deposit.
0: Okay, that is
1: one (laughs) fucked up security deposit.
0: Right? Being forced to like give someone like
1: $2,000 is jarring (laughs) enough. So right before we recorded, I went to the GoFundMe page and it looks like Akeem updated and he said that he spoke to Andre's manager and that the the best solution they've raised about nine thousand of the fi- half a million dollars was that he was going to return the donations to people. So he doesn't explain why, but that's kind of where things stand right now. I guess that's not totally surprising. Chelsea, do you think that we should sh- start our own charity called Save the Caftans, <laughs> which is yeah, t- I'm starting a nonprofit.
0: With everything with this GoFundMe, I think a lot of people might have been reluctant to donate it to it just because of the general perception that people that achieve fame or success within the fashion industry are automatically wealthy people. And, you know, that's very much not true. Of course, some people make a shitload of money, but people that work on the editorial side of things like Andre Leontelli, people that work at magazines, that's not a particularly lucrative career path. You might think... How is that possible? There's assistants at Vogue that are wearing currencies in Balenciaga. But it's because they had money to begin with. It's because they could afford to be unpaid interns. They could afford to live in Manhattan
1: on a $30,000 salary. I'm sure that Andre... That's why you notice that a lot of the female editors, if you see who they're married to, it's usually finance bros. Yeah, it's
0: always finance bros. I'm sure that Andre did relatively well during his heyday at Vogue. Back in the day, editors had crazy experiences expense accounts He know. he did file bankruptcy three separate times in the 90s oh really keeping up appearances is extremely important in this and, industry. and expensive as it turns out and expensive well to be seen as employable or successful you're expected to dress really well and unless you're an incredibly attractive person who can make clothes from Uniqlo look like Margiela then you're kind of fucked I mean I'm sure Andre had a lot of fashion designer friends that gave him clothes over the years and yeah like I said I'm sure at some point he was making a decent amount of money from Vogue although at the tail end of working for Vogue what was that terrible oh when they put him on a diet no not when they put him well that was terrible too but no he he Anna Wintour asked him to do a podcast for Vogue Oh right, for nothing. It right? was it was literally five
1: hundred dollars. Yeah, like
0: I'm pre- five hundred dollars an episode. I mean, I'm new to this game, obviously, but I'm pretty sure that even a moderately successful podcaster
1: makes like five hundred dollars for thirty seconds of Casper spawn. You know, <laughs> you know, we'll be avidly following this one because we love Andre Leon Talley, and if you would like to start a Patreon, we will happily go to that top tier for him. <laughs>
0: of course, I feel bad for him, and I hate that this is being that this is such a public thing. I'm sure he's mortified and we're not doing anything to help
1: that <laughs> by talking about it right now. Sorry, Andre. I, I dare not mention this as, as you are a, a Swifty, a self-proclaimed Swifty yourself, but did you see on, on the first day of International Women's Month, Taylor Swift decided to do a post about a show I don't think anyone was watching called Ginny in Georgia, which I guess in the last episode has a line that says, what do you care? You go through men faster than Taylor Swift. To which Taylor Swift responded, hey Ginny in Georgia, 2010 <laughs> called and it wants its lazy deeply sexist joke back. How about we stop degrading hard-working women by defining the ho- <laughs> this horse shit as funny I didn't realize she actually wrote that also at Netflix after Miss Americana this outfit doesn't look cute on you heartbreak emoji happy women's history month I guess That was some great acting that you did just then. (laughs) Okay. I just want to preface
0: this by saying I love Taylor Swift. I didn't always feel this way but I had a minor breakdown in 2016 and one of the side effects was becoming a huge Taylor Swift fan. So Swifties, please do not blow up
1: our reviews. Look, dragging
0: her isn't my first instinct but in this instance, I have to say that she needs to have a fucking sense of humor. Saying that someone has had a lot of boyfriends isn't sexist. It's not even slut-shaming. It's not like they said she, she has as many notches on her bedpost as Taylor Swift or something like that, which by the way
1: sounds like a Taylor Swift lyric circa 2010.
0: Totally. No one's saying that she's a whore. It's just <laughs> public knowledge that she's had she's had she only dates celebrities. If you have many relationships, you only date celebrities, that's then public knowledge.
1: Yeah, I guess my issue is she has been in this game for more than a decade and there's there's a point where, okay, you're upset about this joke. However, you know everyone. You could have gone to the writers because here's what ended up happening. If swifties then went into the actress who plays ginny antonia gentry's instagram and just started blowing it up yeah that's fucked up which she simply said a line of dialogue written by other people you realize we're about to be bullied by literal children because Mm -hmm. we're having this conversation yeah, I assume so. Well, I assume that if you weren't recording this podcast, you would be the one bullying this podcast. Well, you know what's messed up too is
0: I was thinking last night, I was like, oh, would anyone say this about a man? And I was like, you know who would? She would, because she basically said the same thing about Leonardo DiCaprio in her song, The Man, which was about sexism. She would be like, I would be just like Leo in Saint-Tropez, which indicates he's in San tropez with a bunch. Of, he's someone that's known for having a lot of girlfriends which is exactly what they were saying
1: Yeah, I think there's a level of sophistication that comes with the level of fame she's at, which is, yes, this is something that bothers me, but I know that if I speak up on it, that the reaction is going to be worse than I feel about this comment. Because she could have handled it privately, right? As she says, she did a documentary with Netflix. You're telling me she couldn't have gone to the head of Netflix, Ted Sarandos, and been like, hey, can I get the number of the creator of this Ginny and Georgia show? I have a few thoughts well also it's like tagging Netflix
0: is insane just because Netflix distributed Miss, her documentary Miss Americana doesn't mean that they should then have to like home through all of their scripts to make sure that there are only favorable Taylor Swift references
1: yeah what is this the 1930s in Hollywood <laughs>
0: I know and it's also like I wonder if she would have been this offended if it was about another one like if they were like you go through men faster than Elizabeth Taylor would she have been like that's such a sexist terrible thing or did she personally Look, I understand that she's experienced a great deal of sexism in her life, in her career. I'm not surprised that she was triggered by something relatively benign. Also, I understand what it's like to look at the internet, see something, and be like, fuck that, and kind of impulsively at
1: Netflix. I guess that gets into, to transition slightly, we both watched the Billie Eilish doc that was on Apple TV, which I'm sorry, is a half an hour too long. It was not
0: for you. It was for her fans, which would rather have it be, they would have preferred that it was
1: four hours long. That's also true. You do see the maturation of Billie from a 16-year-old who wants to hug everyone to when she becomes 18 and when her first album comes out, learning to start putting up distance between her and the public.
0: Yeah, well she seems like a, a relatively well adjusted person given everything that's gone on with her life. I I really liked the documentary actually. I really enjoyed watching it. I am a Billie Eilish fan, but I'm a singles
1: only type of gal. I did enjoy it too despite its very long length, but it did I did cry. <laughs> when watching, it. really? I, I mean, I cried too. I'm just surprised that you cried. I, I am severely premenstrual, so I'm going to blame it on that. But oh, I was also too. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh. that's cute. <laughs> her parents' love for her and them being with her constantly and protecting her moved me greatly, and I think that that will ground her although i did halfway through the documentary when they showed her boyfriend who i had no idea she had a a boyfriend in this two-year period i was like is the internet freaking out because she's 16 as we've established and he's very obviously over 18 and yes was he Mm Mm-hmm. he's five years older than her i don't care old how old he was he was a dick It gave me a flashback to that Paris Hilton documentary that we watched together. Oh, totally. Where the boyfriend shows up to the DJ show and is a total fucking dick to her on literally her biggest night. Yeah, that that was heartbreaking. It was also for those who didn't watch it, the, she performs at Coachella. Her boyfriend comes out there. Her boyfriend Seven Amp, I believe, is his name, comes out there and then doesn't show up to the show.
0: Yeah, not only does he not show up to the show, but she flubs a line. It was such a minor thing, and she carried it a, off very well. And she made a joke of it. She, she was like, joke, oh. "She's a very funny person," which yeah. is something that I took a, away from it. But it was heartbreaking that afterwards she couldn't. It wasn't possible for her to feel any sense of joy or pride in her performance because she had made this very minor mistake, which that made me cry. But maybe that's also because as a creative person, that's just like such a nightmare. It's a nightmare, but also it's like I know what it feels like to have someone congratulate you for something and then you're like, I hate that thing.
1: But then Justin to be be a
0: perfectionist, you know? (laughs)
1: But then Justin Bieber FaceTimed her, and everything was okay. That was my favorite through line
0: of the entire documentary was the presence of Justin Bieber, someone else that means a great deal to me. (laughs) I have such great taste in music. I'm like, I love Taylor Swift. I love Justin Bieber. But I'm sorry. They both make good music. I stand by that.
1: Well, I think anyone who's listening to this who heard the first episode and realized that we dedicated a whole segment to the Kardashians and will continue to know that we have trash taste. Uh, is now the time to get into the fact that Billy's brother, Phineas's girlfriend, looks like Billy? It's true. She does. But no, I'm not done with Justin Bieber. I feel like there's more <laughs> to say about
0: him. I want to go no. back to the Biebs. Back to the Beebs. No, I don't. Well, did you cry? Is that when... Because that's when I cried. I cried during that scene at Coachella when they just like held each other for a really long time. No. I mean, I think it's very charming how protective he is of her i think i love him he's the best i even love the bad guy remix i even love that insane vocal flourish that he does at the end of it i'm the bad guy Whoa. so lauren and i live in los angeles and this week la lost a legend mr fred siegel who founded the department store of the same name in the 60s at that point, the store was the cultural epicenter of Los Angeles. The Beatles went there. Elvis went there. He's often credited as the first retailer to charge a shitload of money for jeans. What a concept. I know. Fuck him for that. He pioneered the shop-in-shop concept and was really sort of on the ground floor of experiential retailer Stores like Dover Street Market, Opening Ceremony, Rest in Power, owe a lot to his model, but in recent years, Lauren and I have become really, really obsessed with this ongoing legal drama that he's, that not him,
1: but his his store has been embroiled in. Right. For those who don't live in Los Angeles, are not aware of this, the iconic Fred Siegel location is on Melrose and Crescent Heights. It's covered in ivy. It's just like, it's a landmark. Except, it's not technically a Fred Siegel store. It's a Ron Herman store. Fred Siegel
0: is sold the Fred Siegel brand to a company years ago, but that company did not also acquire the property. So they made a new Fred Siegel
1: store on Sunset Boulevard. However, we should take it back on the Melrose location forever and ever and to this day there is amongst the ivy on the store it says fred siegel on it well it doesn't just say fred siegel
0: on the building if you pull up it's like fred siegel parking this way it's like there's fred's signs about fred siegel everywhere but it's literally not a fred siegel
1: store Yes, and to further complicate matters, Fred Siegel sold the the actual Fred Siegel, for he sold the Fred Siegel branding, sold the Melrose building. The, yeah, sold the building. Sold the building in 2001 to their former insurance broker, who then sold it to a Canadian real estate company in 2016. So the fight is going on between the landowners of the Fred Siegel location on Melrose versus the people who own the Fred Siegel branding who've started their own stores. Just imagine,
0: if you don't understand what the fuck that we're talking about, just imagine if Burger King bought the most iconic McDonald's restaurant in the world, didn't change any of the signage, but then when you go inside, they serve Burger King food. Like, that's literally what's going on with Fred Siegel. It's pretty crazy, and the last update I got in August 2020 A court ruled that they had to take down the signs, but the signs are still up, and I cannot find any news about it
1: since then. And if those signs are ever taken down, and we don't end up owning that sign, I'm going to be very (laughs) upset. I know, same. Anyway, RIP legend. Yeah. uh, We'll we'll keep... We'll keep your flame alive at the Ron Herman store that still says Fred Siegel (laughs) on Melrose. (laughs) I mean, we still eat at the
0: restaurant. That's the only reason why we go there. That is the actually... Not to Fred Siegel. Fred Siegel's a good store, but that's literally a different store. Oh my God, people are going to be so confused by this.
1: Chelsea, do you know what time it is? Yeah, it's 12.04. No, it's time to check in on Fashion Month. Okay, cool. I'm down. Let's do it. Um, Do you want to get into the
0: good, the bad, or the meh? Let's start with the bad because I think people are more entertained by the bad. It's more fun to talk about the bad, kind of, right? So what's worse, Dolce or Tom Ford? I guess Tom Ford. So let's start with that. I hate everything about the Tom Ford collection.
1: Don't mince words, Chell.
0: Well, it makes me long for the days when he was just refashioning Halston's designs for the 90s. This collection confounds me because the hemlines are so short that I can't imagine these clothes on older women, but the style of the clothes is so outdated that I can't imagine them on anyone under 30 either. I just don't know who it's for exactly. It also reminds me of, you know when H&M does those collaborations with luxury fashion houses... And the fashion houses always do riffs on their most iconic pieces, except they cost like $80, and they're designed for teenagers.
1: Like, that's what this is. Tom Ford, formerly the designer of Gucci, who as Chelsea... And uh, Yves Saint Laurent. Uh, as Chelsea alluded to, built out the ready-to-wear line of Gucci by repurposing Halston outfits. And basically, when he went out on his own, he started the Tom Ford brand, started with sunglasses, perfumes, then started to do ready-to-wear. It was basically iterations on what he did for Gucci. But this seems to be some muddled vision of D-squared. It was very D-squared. I
0: think that's that's incredibly accurate. Look, when he, when he designed for Gucci, the timing was right. The look was right. Right. That's what makes this so sad, is because it, it doesn't feel like it's of this time. And speaking of not of
1: its time, can we get into <laughs> Dolce and Gabbana? Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah, I'll take I'll take the lead. Because going back to these poor Vogue.com interns and writers who have to write these reviews as if collections are good when they are not. So according to Dolce & Gabbana, the collection was inspired by e-girls. Like e-girls is this aesthetic. And I don't have the best understanding what an e-girl is, but I'm pretty sure e-girls are just like pastel-hued thoughts who like stick their tongues <laughs> out in selfies and pretend to be gamer girls to like femdom male gamers. what I assume they are (laughs) but I I certainly don't think an e-girl aesthetic is what they put out on the runway which was this like weird bargain bin poker face era gaga with like silver veil crowns and Jetson style mini dresses but then also half the collection was just kind of their best you know black corseted dolce looks from the 90s. It was inspired
0: by '90s fashion, which was reinforced with slogan tees that literally said '90s fashion, '90s supermodel, etc. But to me, it actually looked a lot like Jeremy Scott's shows from ten years ago. I mean, actually, it also his
1: recent collections for Oh my God, Moschino. I mean, I was gonna say it looked as if they gave Jeremy Scott twenty-seven hours to design a full Dolce and Gabbana 1, collection. A thousand
0: percent, it was like his Project Runway challenge. Definitely. Well, because it's like, the things that were very Jeremy Scott were the prints that looked like those television color bars. There were football jerseys. There were leopard print puffer coats. There were bra tops with logo tape. It was actually more of like a pastiche of Carleen Cerf de Zeal's entire career in one show. And the weird thing about it is that Dolce & Gabbana were quite successful fashion
1: designers in the 90s and their clothes didn't look anything like this. That's what I was gonna say is when I go on my Instagram explore page, I am constantly seeing runway footage from their 1992 show. And if they had just done truly a beat for beat outfit by outfit redesign of that collection it would be one of the top collections of the season honestly their collections in the
0: 90s were stunning it was i think because it was such a main it was it was a very mainstream brand is a very mainstream brand it was one of those brands that made me fall in love with fashion i remember being obsessed with that butterfly collection that they did i believe mariah carey wore a piece from it on the cover of her seminal album
1: butterfly And they have gotten into some troubles over the last few years and I think have stumbled and gotten their ass handed to them by the internet as they should and kind of haven't been able to recover
0: not in my mind no I still think wearing Dolce at this particular juncture is a a weird look but they're incredibly talented they have an incredible body of work you would
1: just never know based on this particular show for sure although I will say one positive thing I did enjoy that they designed some PPE and I frankly this entire season have been surprised at how few collections have been doing protective gear because we are going to be wearing that well into 2022 totally I saw rick owens today which was beautiful um, yeah as we're recording the rick owens collection debuted which i'm sure we'll get into in some wrap-up but yeah that was stunning
0: yeah well it also he's like one of the handful of designers where that makes sense with his look you wouldn't even need a pandemic for him to make this particular collection anyway now that we've talked about terrible things shall we go to things we don't hate I think
1: we're both in agreement that the Drees show is probably the top of the season.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love Drees or, you know, what I could see of Drees. They released a lookbook in which the clothes weren't always totally visible, which is a pet peeve of mine, but I will let that go
1: because... But I thought it was a perfect the, you have balance.
0: To, it was. Well, you could also watch the
1: film where you can see... Right see things in greater detail but and you could see the back of things did you notice that Mm -hmm. i thought of you when i was watching it Mm -hmm. so i thought Drees was maybe the best show i've seen just from a fashion show presentation because as you said they commissioned a fashion film of which they collaborated i believe with the danish ballet just some dancing Danes some dancing Danes and models and so it was a film in and of itself it showed off the clothing there was movement you know people talk about a catharsis through fashion about the pandemic I actually felt it with this with the movement of body you could see the clothing move and then that was its own piece and then you could go and look at kind of the lookbook still imagery and that felt like its own art piece and yes if you can't see a ton of the clothing but you can go to the video which is only four minutes love In terms of the clothes, it was a mix of
0: what he does best. Beautifully, impeccably tailored suiting, sumptuous color palettes. There were several pieces that had these really insane digitally printed images of draped fabric and opera gloves and feather boas that had this really gorgeous trompe l'oeil effect. And then he uses embellishment where it really counts. There were gorgeous sequin pieces. There were pieces that like you could almost imagine on a young Liza Minnelli if Liza Minnelli worked at a gallery in Antwerp. It was fab. I love it. This has been my favorite show of the entire season thus far. Where was that Fassbinder film in the 70s? (laughs) I would have loved that. I always love Dries because it's never about hype. It's never about publicity stunts. He never gets too caught up with branding. He makes beautiful, timeless clothes. He's still he's one of the few people that's still an independently owned company. He's not trying to be acquired by LMVH, and he's not trying to take over for one of their houses. and And that's genuinely refreshing.
1: Speaking of which, we get into Gabriella' first sc- first collection for Chloe. I mean, we can. For me,
0: it's so. I didn't dislike it but for me it's so hard to talk about things like it's easier to talk about something if it's good or terrible when something's kind of in the middle it's I get at a loss for it but anyway tell me about it.
1: You know Gabrielle Hearst's whole thing is sustainability I guess this is, is the, it yeah evidently as I learned from a business of fashion article so. In this collection, they worked with repurposing and reusing fabrics from within the house, outsourcing deadstock fabrics. That's cool. Yeah, according to her, they've decreased this collection's environmental footprint by 400%. That's amazing. It is. So the most interesting pieces that went down the runway as I was watching it are these voluminous, almost puffer jackets to the floor made up of, I saw some of the corduroy horse print and different kind of marble silk fabrics It looked like. And it's it sort of sat with me in a weird way. I was like, wow, this kind of looks like Agnes Varda's film Vagabond or like Magatu's Derelict collection. <laughs> okay, I'm like, what? Yes. Uh, uh, And then I I come to learn that these these particular jackets are actually a collaboration with a Dutch company called Shelter Suit Foundation, which the shelter suit is a combination of a sleeping bag and a jacket made from upcycled fabrics. So these are the Chloe version of Shelter shelter suits and
0: uh is it like toms where they donate one to a person in need for every
1: chloe coat you buy <laughs> so funny you say that because they will be selling seemingly those versions of the shelter suits in the stores and yes for every one that is sold they will donate two. Oh wow i was literally joking that's really that's cool okay
0: i fuck with this i guess i mean i get i get that it is towing a kind of uncomfortable
1: line that's, that's more my feeling. Nothing against this company, Shelter Soup, but they've essentially taken an aesthetic of a sleeping bag coat that will then be sold for, I have to assume, at the very least $3,600. And Is that, that the going rate for a? <laughs> I did I did look at Chloe's website. Yeah, a pea coat's about thirty six hundred. Okay, okay. I don't know. And so people will be kind of fashioning, for lack of a better phrase, a shelterless aesthetic with their you know three thousand dollar coat, unless it's going to be sold for a couple hundred dollars, and then I think that's fabulous. Yeah,
0: this makes me uncomfortable. At least they didn't put any eyelet white cotton rompers on the runway this time that's literally never happened before
1: yeah but that could be because it's a fall winter collection just wait till september <laughs> with spring all right guys i think that's it for the show today because there's not really any kardashian news no except for the fact that north got that iguana wait what Aholics anonymous this
0: is a case for the fbi hey. So on Kim's Instagram this week, she posted just adorable photos of North's new,
1: it's some sort of lizard. It is a genius of reptiles containing six lizard species, which are often known by the common name bearded dragons. It's
0: a bearded dragon. Whatever it is, it's fabulous. They gave it a uh, little jewel on its forehead, like little oozy. They made little fleecy Skims robes for it, which are fucking adorable, honestly. This is the cutest thing I've seen on the internet all week. But I guess that's all we have to say about it, isn't it? Are we done now? Is that it? That is it, all right, guys. See you next week. Hopefully I'll have a new face. Hopefully, Lauren will be peeling next week, just like just like the bearded dragon. <sighs> bye,
1: bye. <laughs>